Another shot in the end zone. Double coverage, and Randy Moss comes down with it. Unbelievable. Double coverage, he split the defenders. And he makes the score. Five seconds left. This is for the win for all intents and purposes. The play clock running. Culpepper making an audible. Drops the ball, picks it up. He's going to go in for And he make it. Dante Culpepper gets two. And the Viking sideline has gone nuts. This team that we're looking for next year, we're improving now for the future. And what a play by Dante. Everything that could have gone wrong. It's the Going for Two podcast. Now, join your hosts. Ben and Cape. All right, and welcome back to the Going for Two football podcast. My name is Ben, and I am joined by my co-host Caleb here. Welcome back to another exciting season of NFL football. We are so thrilled to be joining you guys here today and to be able to share our passion for football, our passion for sports, and to really just have a good time. So, Caleb, how are you doing, man? I am doing fantastic. I'm so amped up for the season. I think it's wide open for who's going to be in the playoff hunt. A lot happened in the offseason, so there's a lot to catch up on. No, I agree. I mean, I think last year and the, probably the year before, I think we've been going through this really kind of like quasi-weird transition year where we've got a lot of these legacy players like quarterbacks that have been retiring and the new guard is really starting to take over. And I really do think kind of like the retirement of Tom Brady this year, this offseason, which we will get into, mind you, along this crazy journey, because um, we don't actually know if he's fully retired yet. I think he is, but you never really are, can be sure. Um, I think we've, we've, we're seeing this really kind of cool changing of the guard and seeing the young guns become truly the face of the NFL. You have any thoughts on that or anything like that? 100% agree with you there. It reminds me of uh, when Peyton Manning was transitioning out and kind of handing over the keys to the kingdom to Andrew Luck coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peyton transitioned off at, you know, off into the sunset in Denver, got himself a ring, uh, and really handed over the keys to Andrew Luck, like I said before. And it's really reminding me of how uh, Aaron Rodgers is currently going to the Jets and handing over the keys to Jordan Love. And so... It's going to be very interesting to see this season on how he develops and uh, what he actually blooms into. No, I can't, I can't can't agree with you anymore. I mean, it really is truly a transitional year. Um, it should be a lot of fun. I mean, there's been a lot of moves this offseason. This offseason has been juicy, man. It's been a real juicy offseason. Oh, yeah, between uh, large contracts, quarterback moves, uh, some big, big names in the holdout market uh, holding out, and plus some running back drama. Uh, 100%. I can't, couldn't agree with you anymore. But we'll we'll save those juicy tidbits for the actual content of the pod. Um, but for now, you know, I did want to say a few things. You know, this is kind of our second go at this podcast. We've gone, we went at it once before. Um, we tried actually, actually during the 2021 NFL season. We had a lot of fun, but I think we actually kind of uh, paced ourselves out of the podcast, if if you will. But um, I think we're back strong. We've got a really good format going on. We're here to deliver a lot of high quality NFL news, updates, speculation, all that good stuff. We're going to be covering it. We're going to be doing not necessarily full game breakdowns, but we're just we're just two guys here to cover football and just talk about football. And that's kind of what we how we want how I want to treat it. I think Caleb feels the same way. Um, it, we really do want it to be kind of like a you know, just hanging out at the local bar, just talking football. That's the, the type of vibe we want to cover with. I think you want to get a little more analytical and start covering contracts. Am I right? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, as well as the contract side and the financial side of what's upcoming and what does your team look like for the future and longevity of the franchise, as well as our goal is going to be completely unbiased. Mm -hmm. Ben and I live in Cincinnati. We are big Bengals fans. We do. We will give our left calf to Burrow if he needs it. But um, as for the purposes of this podcast, completely unbiased, just statistics. I have actually already reached out to multiple doctors and, you know, offered up my calf, but apparently he doesn't need it. Apparently he's looking fine now. So I think we're in the clear on that front. But but like you said, just kind of covering the offseason. We're in the offseason. We are, as of the recording of this podcast, we are 24 days away. 24 days. I can't believe we're already coming up on the cusp of another season. But we're 24 days away from the first kickoff from the first game, or the kickoff for the first game for this upcoming season. I am beyond excited. Oh, yeah. Kickoff is right around the corner. Uh, that Thursday night game can't come soon enough between uh, you know the Lions and who they got? I forget. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head right now. Um, but, but we're I'm still in off season mode right now. I'm still trying to process all these new team fits, all these new players where where they're moving. Um, obviously, I do play fantasy, so I'm trying to like get caught up on that. Um, full disclosure to everybody, just so we know, um, I do have two kids at home right now, so it is kind of challenging to stay on top of all of my interests. But um, I'm I'm doing my best here. Um, also, that but, was the only shot at the Chiefs we're going to take there. It's the <laughs> Chiefs Thursday night. Yeah, Maybe a little bit salty after, all this, after the AFC Championship. But. Yeah, we don't talk about that team over, uh, over in Missouri. But um, <laughs> but anyways, speaking of the offseason, Caleb, I think you know there's been a lot of juicy stuff going on. We've had the draft, which was a really good draft this year. I think... Personally, I think it was the best draft that we've had since probably 2020. Um, there was a lot of good quarterbacks. A, another another layer of the new outlook of the league has kind of taken place. Um, we've we've completed our first um, our, our, our we completed our free agency period. We've actually even completed our first week of preseason, and so we got to take some looks at take a look at some of these young rookies getting some of their first action. And it was a lot. To, it's a lot to unpack. I don't think we're going to be getting too, too much into that today, right? Caleb, do you want to tell us what we're going to be covering today? Uh, yeah, so I think what we're going to really focus on just for today's purposes is a lot of the offseason moves and maybe touch a little bit into week one. Um, really, the only rookie that stood off the page to me in week one of preseason was Jalen Carter. My God, he looks like a man amongst boys already. He is definitely um, a freak of nature, that's for sure. I am 33 years old, and I'm crossing my legs because he makes me feel like a he he uh, he makes me feel uncomfortable because he's just oh, yeah. such a man. He's he is a freak of nature, and I mean that in the most flattering way possible. So I mean, I think just to briefly touch on it, Jalen Carter was a massive standout from this past weekend. I think another big storyline that's coming out of this out of this first week of preseason football was the struggles of rookie quarterbacks. I think we've gotten, I mean, and this is my thought, I think we've gotten really accustomed to seeing the Joe Burrows, the Justin Herberts, really kind of come in and take the league by storm. I know a few of the guys, Trevor Lawrence, have had their growing pains, but we're, we're seeing it now. What we haven't seen is a whole rookie class come through all the way from the top down, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Anthony uh, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, they're all struggling right now. And, I mean, their first I know it's the first week of preseason. You don't want to get carried away. 
But the one thing that we, we've grown accustomed to is seeing these rookie quarterbacks coming out of school. They have a lot of polish on them. We're seeing instant production, especially in the preseason. But do you have any thoughts on that before we jump into the meat of the show? Uh, I mean, yeah, week one, they're, they're obviously going to struggle. They're not used to the speed of the game as well as the defense always has a leg up, on, especially on that week one, um, also after the joint practices. So who knows what tendencies and tipping of the, ha- tipping of the hand that they showed in those joint practices that led into week one preseason. I would like to see the development of you know week two, week three, and then we can really call it. But for sure, they were uh, struggling there at the very beginning of the preseason. No, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I think I, I expect big things out of this rookie class, but it'll be fun to see them. It'll fun to see them develop and see how their careers end up turning out. But I don't um, just write them off just yet. No, 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 no. Definitely, especially not after week one of the preseason. I think. What I what I was just the point I was just trying to make is like I've just grown accustomed to seeing these rookie guys. I almost forgot about rookie struggles anymore because we've seen these guys come in and really just dominate, especially in the preseason, dominate and really look like polished pros already. But I think we've gotten a little spoiled. Yeah, um, a little bit, and then I, I mean this year it might be the the case of the rookie blues and the sophomore slump. Honestly, no, I agree uh, with that. I think both might both classes might struggle on the QB front. No, I agree with that. But speaking, you know, look at us. We're in our first pod back, and we're already talking quarterbacks, which kind of leads us to our biggest storyline of the offseason so far. Right, Caleb? Yeah, I touched on it earlier. I think it's uh, Rodgers to the Jets. Aaron Rodgers to the Jets is definitely the biggest, most most high-profile move we've seen so far this offseason. Maybe in the last two years that we've seen, outside of maybe Deshaun Watson. But Aaron Rodgers, you know, multiple-time MVP, multiple, well, actually one-time Super Bowl champion, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. As everybody knows, he's uh, he moved from Green, from Green Bay over to the New York Jets. Um, that's a massive move. That's a magic culture change for the Jets. What are your thoughts, Caleb? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it looks like he's having fun for the first time in his career. Um, and not only did he did he go to the Jets, he also brought his band of characters with him and uh, Randall Cobb and um, oh, who's the other? Alan reader? Lazard. Alan Lazard. Thank you. Yeah, he brought both of those with him. So I mean, it's kind of like a homecoming and a reunion for them in New York. No, it really is. I mean, I'll be honest with you. It is good to see Rogers smiling at press conferences. It is nice to see him. You know, he does. He seems like he's actually enjoying himself for once. Um, after the last couple of seasons, he seems like he's just been miserable in Green Bay. Um, it's nice to see him having fun. You know, outside of the person, though, how do you think this translates to the field? Yeah, so far in camp, he's looked pretty solid. Um, I think he's really taken over the mentorship role of uh, Zach Wilson. Uh, There's reports coming out of camp that Wilson is progressing very, very quickly right now and not making the same mistakes that he did last year. Um, He's really showing mature growth in the reading of the offense as well as uh, just leadership in the locker room, it seems like. So I think it's a harmonious relationship in their quarterback room where Zach Wilson doesn't feel the pressure of a whole city and that whole city being the largest city in America on the weight of his shoulders. So I think Rodgers moving in not only allows really good QB play out of the Jets for the next two years, but maybe sets them up for the potential to have a franchise QB after he leaves. 
Well, and you know, and that's kind of the point that I was going to make myself. I like Aaron Rodgers. I think he's, he, without a doubt, a first ballot Hall of Famer. There's no question about that. I think the biggest aspect is, or the biggest benefit to this move is what you just said. You know, the development of Zach Wilson, former number two overall pick in the 2021 NFL Draft. He was about ready to get run out of or chased out of New York much uh, after the last couple of seasons he's had. Plus, he's got attitude questions. People forget that this is a 21-year-old kid. He, or he, when he came into the league, he was a 21-year-old kid. That's a lot of weight, um, you know, to, to go into kind of a graveyard of former quarterbacks where they haven't had a lot of success and, you know, bear the weight of, you know, one of the most popular teams in the NFL. In terms of the play on the field, I'm less, I'm less optimistic about Rodgers right now. I'm going to really need to see it. The drop-off in play that I saw him last year in Green Bay had, I know they had issues on the offensive line. They had issues with the wide receivers, a bunch of young guys, and Christian Watford and Romeo Dubs coming in. They had to get up to speed. And, you know, the crazy part is, is Caleb, this, this is a testament to how good of a player Rodgers is, is they were up until week 17, there was a potential for them to still make the postseason, even though they had an abysmal year last year. My biggest thing is that I'm not sure how it's going to – I want to know how much more Rodgers has in the tank. Was last year a product of the situation that was surrounding him as the player, or was last year more along the lines of, you know, kind of a, a foreshadowing of what's to come? Is Rodgers actually starting to um, deteriorate as a player? Is age catching up with him? I think that's a big question. I think it's something none of us can ignore. It's something that we've seen over the last couple of years. Some of these long-term legacy guys in their late 30s, early 40s, it seems like they go from one year having a really being a really high-level player to all of a sudden doing an immediate 360 or 180, if you will, and watching them start to deteriorate. Do you have any of those similar concerns? Because I'm a little, I'm a little concerned. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, the old saying is the only one undefeated in the NFL right now is Father Time and. He even caught up to Tom Brady allegedly last season. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the fall-off is going to be there. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, when those winter months roll in, how fresh the arm is, how fresh his legs are. Uh, a lot of people forget, like, he can still, you know, run out of the pocket and scramble and get down the field. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, after, you know, week 10, week 12, after the bye week, uh, we'll see if he, how he's holding up and – if they can stay healthy. I mean, the addition of uh, another running back in the running back room where he can just constantly hand the ball off, that was Tom Brady's secret down there forever that he was just handing the ball off 20 times, 25, 30 times a game. And who is that running back? Because this just broke probably about two hours ago. Yep, uh, that running back would be uh, Dalvin Cook. The Dalvin Cook. of his. So many of touchdowns has been scored against Rodgers. By the hands of Dal- by the hands and feet of Dalvin Cook, uh, so it's nice to have him on his side of the ball now. No, it, it's going to be a new wrinkle. Uh, man, that is a loaded roster from top to bottom. The offensive line is looking great. The wide receivers are stinking great. I mean, I was not the biggest fan of Alan Lazard. But being able to have Alan Lazard as your number two guy or your number three guy, I mean, that's that's a loaded wide receiver core. Obviously, we're talking about his top target being Garrett Wilson and potentially Corey Davis being his number two. And then you throw in Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb as his safety nets. Um, and then you just throw, like you, should, you mentioned with Dalvin Cook, Brees Hall, Michael Carter Jr. I mean, 
this is a loaded roster. I mean, I think that they are prepared to make a, it, it, depending on what what we see from Rodgers and if he is ready, if he is ready to return to the, the elite tier of quarterbacks, I think they're going to be making a deep run in the postseason. What do you think? Um, I mean, it's hard to rule them out as a deep run. It's just so unpredictable with the AFC right now because obviously you have the Chiefs, you have the Bengals, you have the Bills, now you have the Jets. Can't forget about the Patriots, um, as well as, yeah, I mean, if Deshaun Watson, the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL right now, mm-hmm. if, if he gets going, the Browns could be in contention. What is Russell Wilson going to look like out in a loaded Denver team? they got a new coaching staff. Apparently, it's you know a, a solid, firm, established coaching staff now. Maybe a little older coaching staff, but I think that's a, that's what that franchise needs. So I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be an amazing journey to watch and see what the Jets can do in the AFC. And I don't want to take anything away from their defense either. They've got a loaded defense, man. I mean, Quinnen Williams is kind of the face of the defense right now. But we, I don't want anyone to forget that last year they invested a first round pick in Jermaine Johnson. This year they invested another first round pick in Will McDonald. Both these guys to come on off the edges. They complement each other perfectly to get to the opposing quarterback i man this 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 is a really nice roster this is a really nice team on paper i'm gonna say top down on paper the jets are probably the best team on in football on paper on paper they might be the best team on football uh best team in football on paper yeah and don't forget about you know sauce gardner as well yeah up with aaron Rodgers. don't want to take don't want to take him away anything away from him yeah, I mean, he might be one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL right now. I, I reminds th- me of old Revis Island up there. Now it depends on it depends on how you want to actually approach this. Is he the best cornerback in football, or is he Captain Pushoff or Captain Hold? I mean, I don't want to get into it. The fact of the matter remains is he's a first team All Pro as a 21 year old rookie. He's big. He's lanky. He anchors that secondary. They've got some really nice pieces around him in the secondary. Honestly, man, now that I'm just kind of like verbalizing this and running down the roster in my head, this is a man. This is a loaded team. Yeah, yeah, um, man. But again, though, it's just can they stay healthy? They are a little older, especially if if Rogers goes down for any reason. Um, they still got to go through the AFC, which is the Chiefs, the Bills, the Bengals, and the gauntlet of every other you know just normal week. 10 through 15 matchups. No, I couldn't agree more. And they're doing it all. We're not even talking about the dark horse of the Jaguars with Trevor Lawrence down there. So. Nah, Trevor Lawrence isn't anything. Joe Burrow's his daddy. But... <laughs> But anyways, I mean, that's not the only news. There's been a ton, like I said, there's been a ton of storylines throughout this offseason. But, you know, one of the one of the more recurring, uh, you know, Rodgers, the one thing that we haven't mentioned yet is, you know, he got traded to the Jets and he actually restructured his deal to be a little bit more team friendly to the Jets so that they could put all these pieces around him, which I thought was a really classy move. We've seen some of these other recent Hall of Famers, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady. We've seen these guys take lesser money so that they can actually chase a ring, which I love seeing this from these guys. Um, I actually wish that some of the younger guys would follow suit um, and maybe think about you know taking a little bit lesser money to, to chase rings, to chase victories. I mean, I think it's a big deal. But the crazy part is I feel like this offseason, money has become one of the – and contract situations has been one of the more reoccurring themes – in the entire NFL. And that kind of leads us to our next topic that we want to cover, which is the Justin Jefferson holdout, which is a massive deal. I mean, he is, I think, 
I, I would like to say, un, un, I don't want to say unquestionably, because there's always an argument to be had, but I think he is the best wide receiver in football right now. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, definitely, I think it's without a doubt, top three, and nobody can argue it. Now, with Dalvin, with the Vikings not re-signing Dalvin Cook, does that open up some more money uh, for options that they can re-sign him, and what type of deal does that look like? Me personally, I think he might be waiting for the Burrow Chase news to drop to see what uh, Jamar Chase gets in his contract and then kind of one-up it because they have that chummy relationship between the two. Uh, you know, they're both from LSU, um, and they're, they're always debating on who's the best wide receiver in the NFL between the two. So uh, he, that he might be waiting for that to come down the pipe. However, I mean, for the Vikings, I don't know if they have that luxury to, to be waiting that long. No, I couldn't agree with you more than that. Um, yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with you anymore. I mean, he's he's a premier wide receiver. Um, you know, I'm looking at some of the, the wide receiver, the recent wide receiver contracts that have been handed out. The, the most recent was last year with Devontae Adams getting that massive five-year, $140 million deal. Um, it, it looks like Justin Jefferson is going to absolutely just annihilate the bank. He's not going to break the bank. He's going to annihilate, eviscerate the bank well, with the amount of money that he's going he's gonna to command. Um, what do you think it means for the Vikings? If, if he's not there at the start of camp or if he's not even there during training camp and, you know, he doesn't have his football legs under him, I mean, we might be seeing him, you know, a couple weeks into the year before he's really starting to produce. That's just the nature of the game. We've seen it happen before. But what do you think this means for the Vikings? Yeah, if you were to tell me that someone on, you know, the Chiefs, or let's, let's even say Travis Kelsey, just for giggles here, was uh, holding out for a higher contract, I think the Chiefs would be fine through the first four to five weeks without Travis Kelsey. And it would almost benefit them down the stretch to have a healthier Travis Kelsey coming back off, you know, week five, week six. It's almost like D-Hop coming back with the Cardinals last year. You could tell he had fresher leg, more fresh legs and fresher legs than anybody else that was defending him, and it showed in his stats. Uh, now, with the Vikings, especially with losing Dalvin Cook, it's like, who does – who do they throw to? Yeah, and I mean, you know, and they obviously Adam Thielen's not there any longer. Um, he got actually a ridiculous amount of money in Carolina, which he shouldn't have. I, I mean, I don't think he should have gotten for a 33-year-old wide receiver, but, you know, props to him. I'm, I'm for everybody going and getting their money. Yeah, you got to do what you do to do. I've never seen that kind of money thrown around to a wide receiver at age 33. So, I mean, you know, credit to him. I think he's actually going to turn 34 during the season. I, don't quote me on that. I think he's actually – actually, you know, he might just be 33. But regardless, though – that's all. I mean, there's that that team. I am most. I am very concerned about the Vikings because, as like you, we've mentioned before, they've lost a lot of pieces. Thielen's not there anymore now. Dalvin Cook's not there anymore. Turning kind of turning the keys over um, to Madison there in the backfield. I think the Vikings are going to be or they're going to regress quite a bit. And considering that nobody really considered them contenders last year, I, if I was a Minnesota fan, I would be. Very very pessimistic about the team at this point so question for you then just for thought exercise do they sign him to a huge contract do they sign justin jefferson to this massive contract if they're going to go into complete rebuild mode you know what if if i were i'll be very honest with you if i was any other team i would say 
that's hard to answer because we don't actually know what his demands are. You know, the highest the highest paid wide receiver in football right now is Tyree Kill. He signed that massive deal last year, four years, one hundred twenty million, with an average salary of thirty million a year. I, I, I mean, I know for a fact we we all know that Justin Jefferson is going to try to break that thirty year thirty mil a year average. So I think he's going to probably look to to try to hit that thirty-two million per year mark is what he's what he's headed for. Um, if it was any other team, I would tell him, you know, forget it, man. Like we'll look to try to trade you for a massive haul and try to rebuild this roster because I mean you're not going anywhere with Kirk Cousins. You have no other help around you. You don't have any running back help now outside of Madison, who's twenty-five years old. He's been a backup his whole career. He's had a lot of potential, mind you, but. We've been seeing running backs wear down in their mid-20s here recently. Part of me, for if I'm a general manager, and I'm not, so, you know, whatever, I mean, I, I wouldn't pay him the money. That's just my thought process. I don't think I would actually give him the money. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I think if they don't give him money, the money, Minnesota might just throw a riot. I mean, they would. They have to. I mean, based off of the offseason that they've had, letting a lot of talent leave that organization, not bringing any good, solid, elite or elite level replacement talent, I think they have to pay that player. I mean, who else is it? I mean, it's going to kind of look like the Will Smith gif at this point, you know, kind of with him standing in the middle of his room looking around, kind of like what's left. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think they have to pay him that much. I think the wrinkle that we haven't touched about at this point, or we haven't talked about at this point, and this this is, like you said, just thought exercise, maybe kind of being a devil's advocate. Does Justin Jefferson actually want to sign there long-term? Yeah, I mean, that, that's actually the million-dollar question, I guess, or multi-million-dollar question in his, in his case, is, you know, does he think he's going to be able to get it done with Kirk Cousins? And if he doesn't, it might be a sign via trade type of thing where he signs with the Vikings only on the assurance that they have a trade lined up for him to be shipped out of town. I mean, I think it is a – I don't even think this is speculation, Caleb. I think this is actually like a known fact. We know where he wants to go. I mean, I, we, we, have, we have an idea where he, where he wants to be. I think it's pretty – based off of the comments we've heard, he wants to be on a roster with Chase and Burrow at some point in his career. I mean, those are his two of his best buddies. So I mean, I think eventually he wants to be there. That is not. I that there's no way that's going to happen. There's just not enough money in Cincinnati to go around, especially when you consider T. Higgins and Chase. But I think through the comments that he's made about wanting to return to his roots and you know his friendship with Chase and especially his friendship with Burrow, um, I think him and Burrow were roommates for the the last year in at LSU um, when they were on the road. I just I don't I'm not sure where he wants to go. That's my biggest question: is what does he want to do? We've been seeing this new transition, and and I'm not saying you know Jefferson's demanding to go to Cincinnati. He's not. I just I think through his comments, that's where I think he wants to end up going eventually. I think that's where he would love to go if he could. Now, and that's not me trying to be biased here. That's just me kind of looking at the reading the tea leaves here. But I think we've been seeing this new trend where we've been seeing a lot of guys. I think that they're starting to realize that on-the-field success equates to long-term money. While in the past we might have seen there's, it seems like there was a predominant thought process that you know I'm going to get my money and get paid now, but they're never looking towards that next contract or the next contract. Jefferson's 23 years old; uh, he's going to be 24, if not 24, already. 
he's looking he's looking for the next two contract is what he's got to be thinking about right now and so that's where my reservation is is where i'm not exactly sure what he wants out of the situation yeah i mean it's not only only solely what he wants either um I mean, a lot of these players, especially at his level, at Burrow's level, at the Jamar Chase level, uh, they really start and sometimes get influenced by the players' union because they can't take less than what the previous guy in his position took. It's always pushing the envelope of, you know, we got to get ours, get the money, and set the precedent for the next player coming in behind you that's going to be good, the next rookie or the next freshman in college right now that's going to be coming out three, four years down the line. We want to set the wide receiver group or the players group up for success for longevity of the future to get paid as the salary cap and, you know, as the the snowball of money grows in the NFL. I couldn't agree more. And like I said, kind of like we mentioned at the beginning of the pod, money has been one of the reoccurring themes this offseason. It seems like it's taken even more of a front seat than years past. And, you know, Justin Jefferson's not the only one holding out. The running back position's been going through a lot of transition as well over the last couple of or the last couple of months. And last we've couple, been last twenty four hours. Uh, hours yeah, and if anybody hasn't real hasn't heard the news yet, we already mentioned it once already. Dalvin Cook did sign with the New York Jets. I mean we talked about that quite extensively through the Aaron Rodgers um, section. But the other one was Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, he went and signed a contract with the New England Patriots. Um, I don't think at the time of the recording of this pod, the details of either one of those contracts have been um, have been highlighted or released yet to the public. But it does kind of highlight this new narrative that's been coming out about the running back position. And, you know, there's been the, the running back summit where all the running backs came together and were talking about how they're not getting paid anymore. Um, they voiced their concern, kind of led by Austin Eckler. Um, but we think, I think there was over 30 backs that were a part of this summit where they were talking about the contract situations for running backs right now. What do you, what do you make about this entire situation? Yeah, so both contracts that got signed by Dalvin Cook and Ezekiel Elliott, both were only one-year deals. So the longevity of contracts is what is being discussed at these summits, as well as it, this all stemmed from the Devo Samuel contract discussion and holdout from last season to where he said, either you pay me as a wide receiver you pay me as a running back or you pay me as both. I'm not doing all three and putting this workload if you're going to slot me in as a running back because the shelf life and the amount of carries on my legs are not going to last for as much as you're using me for. So I think these running backs are starting to realize, I think the average shelf life in the NFL for a running back is like two years. And mm-hmm. I know you and I always discuss every single year when the draft comes around, it's like, why is this NFL team that – has all these smart guys in the room picking running backs in the first round when their shelf life is only two years long. Well, you know, and I, I spent a good deal of this offseason, uh, the NFL offseason, thinking about the running back position because it's been such a prevalent topic of conversation that's been coming up here recently. And I really just start looking back at the Todd Gurley contract. And to me, that's the one that kind of sticks out in my mind predominantly you know Todd Gurley was drafted in 2015 he was one of the pre the premier running backs in the NFL signs a massive contract at age 25 in the NFL and he's out of the league by age 27 
and that was just because of the deterioration of his knee. And I think, I think you know, it, it was starting before then, but that's kind of like the exclamation point on that argument where I feel like after Gurley was out of the league, we've all of a sudden started seeing this kind of domino effect where it is so hard to get paid in the NFL as a running back right now. And quite frankly, if I'm being honest, I don't blame, I don't blame teams for not paying running backs right now. I mean, you, if you want to sign a guy that's, you know, 25, 26 years old, there is a real risk that you're not going to see any return on your investment. I mean, the, the Cincinnati Bengals, luckily they paid Joe Mixon early enough. And, you know, his contract is after this season is very movable. I think he only has one year left on his deal. I anticipate them moving on from Mixon this offseason. But it is slim pickings for running backs right now. Um, before the podcast started, you and I were kind of looking through the list of you know contracts for running backs out there right now. And honestly, I was actually surprised that there was as much money that was out there. Um, two running backs, you know, Alvin Kamara's on a $75 million deal, but Christian McCaffrey's on a $64 million deal, and then Derrick Henry got his $50 million. But, you know, at that, after those top five backs, and really after the top four backs, we really see a drastic shift in the amount of pay that these guys are getting. And I, it does, it does, it brings up questions as to, like, what is the future of the running back position moving forward? Um, yeah, that's a, that's the multi-billion million dollar question that even these guys don't even know um we just saw that two of the most ticketed free agents for the running back position only signed one-year deals Mm -hmm. um dalvin cook being a phenomenal running back for minnesota last year obviously going to the jets on the one-year deal and then uh ezekiel elliott who a lot of people said was falling off last year a lot of people forget the conversion rate for Ezekiel Ezekiel Elliott last year on the goal line. With within two yards, the amount of times he was scoring a touchdown when given the ball two yards or an end was fifty four percent. Which is a crazy stat. <laughs> that is a crazy amount of that is, he was very effective at the goal line last year. Yeah. So it's it's like, yeah, you, you brought up a great point of the return on investment aspect of it. Uh, yeah, the Bengals did get lucky with Mixon, but you and I have both discussed in the past, we think his legs have fallen off, and it, it's a little bit troublesome for Bengals fans this year. Uh, I know, I think the Vegas odds right now are under 800 yards for the season, I think how mm-hmm. it sits currently, so I think that's where his over-under is, and a lot of people are hammering the under around here. Yeah, and I don't blame him. I mean, and you know, Ezekiel Elliott is 28 years old. Still, if this was 10 years ago, he would have another solid four years left in the tank. But I mean, it's a different it's a different league now. It's a different discussion. And I mean, I think my my question is, and what I would love to know, I would love to know, ask an athletic trainer or somebody that or a doctor that with the knowledge of, is why is it now that we're seeing these guys starting to wear out earlier? Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, it, I think it's because the old school style of running back where, you know, you're going to come in, you're going to get your 20 to 30 carries a game, like the old Frank Gore used to do. And that was it. You'd come off, come off the field, get some water, get some tape, get a break. Uh, the third bound back, the third down back would come in for some pass pro and the team would go into shotgun. 
Well, now you're seeing these running backs not only be in there for their 20 to 30 carries per game, they're also out there in the pass, passing game. So as a Christian McCaffrey gets those 20 to 25 carries, he's also getting 10 to 12 receptions, which adds up to another like 40, 45 touches a game. Which I think in that I think that's the reason why we're seeing you know an outrage coming from Austin Eckler, who is running, who's actually I think it was in 2020 actually lined up more at wide receiver than he even did at running back. So I mean I think it's or at slot receiver, I think and I think he's kind of leading the charge because you know he's on you know he signed a four year deal for 24 million and he is extremely underpaid as it sits right now based off of the volume and you know the role that he plays in the offense, but. If you look at the offseason this year, it's abysmal. I mean, we're talking about there was barely any money handed out to a running back right now. The big, the highest paid running back, and do you know who the highest paid running back was from this offseason? Uh, from this offseason, I don't. Obviously, we don't know the numbers of the two that just came in. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't off the top of my head. It was Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders moved from he moved from Philadelphia to Carolina, and he signed a contract of four years, twenty five million. Which, comparison to you know the wide receivers and you know the running backs or some of the the top tier running backs, that is very low in comparison. That is not a lot of money in comparison. But you know what the saddest part is? Is he is ranked as the sixth highest paid running back in the league right now. Wow! 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 The sixth highest paid, and we're talking about Justin Jefferson over here as the number one highest paid receiver, trying to get 33 a year. We're talking about he signed, you know, Miles Sanders, obviously, 25 years old, was hit or miss the first three years of his career, finally put it together in a contract year, rattled off a 1,200-yard season um, with, you know, double-digit touchdowns, which, you know, kudos to him. But we got to look at, in comparison here, Miles Sanders, based off the contract he got, he's going to be receiving an annual salary of around $6 million. <laughs> we were just talking about Justin Jefferson getting $32 million per season. So, I mean, the discrepancy is very obvious. But, man, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a, I consider myself somewhat of a business man myself. I went to business school. Paying a running back, and when you look at the salary cap constraints, what the quarterbacks are getting, and now these premier wide receivers, what they're getting paid – and then the the replaceability of a running back right now, it's man, it's just not worth it to pay these guys. It really isn't. And the the drop off between the elite level talent in the league right now to that second tier, it's just the margin is not wide enough to justify paying these guys. So I mean, from my perspective, I'm kind of on the owners, I'm a, I'm on the owners side in this argument that they're looking at it from a business standpoint where you know. I can pay all this money to this running back, or I could draft another guy who is going to produce at the same rate as this guy that I'm paying, but I'm going to be paying him significantly less. And I think that's a model that's that's been successful in the league. I think we've seen it actually have success. It's beneficial to the salary cap situation. It's beneficial to you know your championship odds. There was that crazy statistic that was thrown around last offseason when you look at the last, you know, the last, I think it was five or six Super Bowl years, the two teams that were in the Super Bowl, the the winner usually doesn't have a running back that's on a high-end contract. 
So, I mean, there is kind of a correlation between, you know, these higher-end running backs getting paid and your team competing for a championship. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I totally agree with you is that uh, the fall-off in numbers-wise from a running back that's approaching the end of his rookie deal versus what you can actively go out there and get in the NFL draft in the third, fourth, fifth, hell, even sixth round sometimes – the production level is not that far of a, a drop off. No, I, I am. I'm, I'm right on board with you there. I couldn't agree with you anymore. Um, but like I said, you know, money has been the talk of the off season this year. We've been seeing, you know, wide receivers that are getting crazy amounts of money. We've been seeing running backs who haven't been receiving any money. But then we get to the big one, Caleb, which is the quarterback contracts. And we are seeing some of these yacht guys, 25, 26 years old, Getting close to becoming borderline billionaires when you consider incentives and you know endorsements and everything on these contracts, it's crazy, man. And what what are your thoughts on this? The, the quarterback contracts right now because they are outrageous. We saw, you know, we everybody knows about Lamar Jackson became the highest paid player in NFL, not just quarterback but NFL history. And then you know a couple weeks later, we see Justin Herbert come in and you know beat that contract in in itself. So, I mean, there is insane numbers getting thrown around by quarterbacks right now. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I think the Lamar Jackson one is just absolute insanity for his personal reasons because the man got paid. Not only did he get paid, he didn't have to pay an agent. He did his own negotiating. Um, all that money is going right into his pocket. Uh, and then a lot of people forget he's only like 24 years old. He's got still a lot of miles on those legs that he can run with and throw with. Um, I think him and Burrow are actually very similar in age. Um, yeah. But actually, Burrow's a little older. Yeah, came like in, one year older, yeah. Yeah, came in actually two years later. But the, the, the number is, it's ridiculous. It's yeah, incredible. And, and great for him. I think it's a great investment by the Ravens. I don't think, and obviously over the past two years, uh, there wasn't any other rookie quarterback that's going to live up to what Lamar Jackson's doing, I'd still slot him in as top five QB in the NFL hmm. just for his lethalness on his legs. Uh, I Yeah, I can see what you're saying. Um, I mean, if, if any of you follow me on Twitter, everybody knows that I am probably the president of the Lamar Jackson Haters Club. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm very opposed to paying Lamar Jackson. I don't think that he was worth it in any way, shape, or form. I think we've seen him regress every year since his MVP season. Um, credit to him, everything I've heard from him, he's a pretty cool guy outside of his whole rant to a fan the one a couple weeks uh, last season. But other than that, you know, looking at the bigger picture of things, the quarterback position, man, it is it is ascending. Guys are getting paid crazy amounts of money. I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. But my big question for you we have to talk about it. We're both Bengals fans, so I think we have a pretty good inside track on it. What do you think Burrow is going to get? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's some reports that are already starting to leak out uh, that he will be the highest-paid quarterback, highest-paid player in NFL history, just period. That's what's coming out of it. Now, how the deal is structured, how much money is guaranteed, uh, what the incentives look like. Is it front-loaded? Is it back-loaded? Me, personally, I have a feeling that it might be a back-loaded contract, kind of similar to what Aaron Rodgers just did uh, with Green Bay. 
and then when he switched to the Jets, he was able to defer that money and to uh, renegotiate it. If Burrow were to have a signing bonus up front, and then the rest of the money deferred on a backloaded contract, it would give the Bengals flexibility to then go ahead and sign Jamar Chase and potentially sign T. Higgins. Uh, but that is just my two cents on I think that's based off of everything that we've heard coming out of the Bengals camp. I think that's what's going to happen. The only reason why I wanted to talk about that is we have seen a lot of these younger guys getting paid this offseason. Um, I think Philadelphia was smart. Um, I'm not the biggest Jalen Hurts guy. I think a lot of his success is a product of that team and what they have around him right now. But I think that they were smart where they decided to jump in and you know give him his contract now where you know he's now the fifth highest paid quarterback in the league. But I think in retrospect that could end up looking like a bargain down the line. Um, I am very optimistic about um, Jalen Hurts' situation that he has right now. Um, and, you know, kind of with the quarterback situation that's going on right now. My question for you, and, you know, I've been I've having a discussion with multiple people about this. Stay with me for a little bit. This is a speculation, speculation podcast. This may be the dumbest thing I ever say in the world. But, you know, everything is stupid until – it sounds stupid until we see it actually happen. Um, I know I heard conversations about potentially this happening with Patrick Mahomes a couple of years ago. We saw Michael Jordan, and that's basketball, NBA, stick with me. We saw Michael Jordan kind of change the way that business was done in pro sports where he was making more money off of his shoe endorsement deals and his endorsements outside of the sport itself than he was actually from the game itself. I think what my question for you, Caleb, is, is are we moving closer and closer to potentially seeing one of these quarterbacks potentially sign a contract with a slight ownership stake in it. Um, that's something that I've been speculating about. I've thought about. I'm unsure of, but I think we might, we might be, might be making our way to that soon. But that 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 is kind of what my thought process is right now. Not really sure. Um, I think we may be we may be working our way towards an ownership stake um, in the NFL right now. Some of these guys, as the contracts get higher and higher and higher, and we're seeing some of these guys like, like we said, we were talking about Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, and Burrow, which is forthcoming really shortly. I think we may be seeing the time where business starts to change in the NFL because we're talking, you know, we're not talking, you know, $100 million. We're talking half a billion dollars with some of these guys. Patrick Mahomes signed a $450 million contract. We're starting to see baseball contracts and other sports get close to half a billion dollars as well. And when we're talking about teams that are worth, you know, three, four, five billion dollars and they're, you know, paying, you know, half a billion to a single player. I think you might see some of these savvy businessmen who are the owners of the league maybe explore, you know, maybe, you know, we'll sign you to a four-year, $100 million contract, but we may give you like a 2% ownership stake for, you know, a period of time that something's off the books. That may be ludicrous to talk about, but I, like I said, everything is ludicrous until we see it actually come into practice. And that's just a thought that I've been having is maybe we might be 
not necessarily this year or next year or even the year after, but I think we are moving closer and closer to that down the road. Do you have any thoughts on that? Is that completely ludicrous or what do you think? Um, a little bit just because of the play, how the players union is structured with uh, the ownership. Cause they, the ownership basically works as a cartel almost. They set all their prices and work in collusion and, coercion with everybody else in the league. So if the Bengals were to try to give Burrow a 2% ownership stake, um, all the revenue within and throughout the NFL is profit shared. So that's why for the longest time, Mike Brown didn't really care if the Bengals won or lost. All he cared about was if the Cowboys were setting record TV deals and the Packers were going to the playoffs and New York was popular and LA was popular um, because if they're selling out their stadium for the whole season and then going to the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl is creating these massive ratings, he's getting a cut of everything. So I don't know how it would work with uh, that type of thing. Um, it's different, you know, when Jordan went to Nike because they're a yeah, outside private, company, right? It's a private company. Now, now the only reason the only reason why I brought it, oh, actually, you can go ahead. No, yeah, yeah. Now, what could start to happen is uh, it could be very similar to almost colleges and the new NIL deals that they are carrying to where lead sponsorships that are coming into these different markets, whether it be baseball, football, hockey, soccer, what could be required is almost what we saw with Messi down there in (laughs) Inter-Miami is that Paycor, you can only sign your deal and ink your deal here in Paul Brown if you give Joe Burrow a 1% stake in your company for 10 years. Right. All right. I, I can see that. And, you know, and that's why I wanted to bring it up. I, I don't know if that's necessarily moving in that direction, but I think we are going to start to see these owners get creative with these deals because when you're talking about, you know, you know, if I if if I'm if I own a company, Caleb, and you know, I have a stellar employee, you know, I, I'm not going to. And my my company is worth thirty million dollars. I don't want to pay, you know, a single employee ten million dollars. That's just bad business. You don't want to do that. And when you're talking about these or these these teams that are worth, you know, four or five billion, and you're going to start paying a single employee because they are employees of teams, mm-hmm. half a billion dollars. To me, that doesn't seem like it's a wise investment from a financial standpoint, from a numbers on paper standpoint. I know that the return off of the the name of these players is astronomically high, but and I'm not saying that they're necessarily going to start going to this you know ownership stake model for you know an extended period of time. But what I'm thinking of, what the, my overall point is that I think these owners are going to start to get creative with the ways that they're going to pay these players, not just in football. I think across the board in all major sports. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're you're spot on with that because we're already starting to see that with polarizing players such as Messi come to Inter Miami uh, down there in the the soccer mm-hmm. uh, stadium to where they gave him percent of all of the MLS. So, which is absurd, but he's boosting revenue everywhere he goes by like ten, twenty percent. Right. He's like carrying local economies when he's coming to town, which is just insane to think about but yeah could we start to see that in the nfl down the line next uh cba 
Who knows? I, I think we're headed in that direction. I don't think that there's really any... In my mind, there's no shadow of a doubt. We're, working, we're moving our way towards a more creative contract negotiation system where you know some of these guys are going to start getting paid like even more money and these teams aren't going to be able to afford them. Because the one thing in my thought process and after having multiple conversations with people is the whole point of the NFL draft is you want to be able to give the lower end teams access to the high end college players. So you have a more balanced league. If some of these lower, smaller market teams are drafting these guys, they're panning out and they're becoming incredible players, but these smaller teams aren't actually able to keep them and they're, they have to move on from them from a pure financial standpoint. Well, now I think you're looking at kind of a broken league in my point of view. I mean, I think it defeats the purpose of the NFL draft. Um, it, it, it creates an uneven playing field kind of across the board. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of a risk factor involved just because those coming out of the NFL draft, you know, are completely untested. Mm -hmm. Whereas you know exactly what you're getting in a Patrick Mahomes, a Josh Allen, a Joe Burrow. Right, right. No, it's that, it's that peace of mind that you're paying for. Now, how much is that peace of mind worth? It's, uh, you know, you get the you get into the law of diminishing returns at some point. Right. I mean, I know it's all a lot of it's tethered to the equity that a company has um, actually on the amount of cash that a company has on hand. But, you know, that we, we, we can do a whole another podcast, basically a whole other show just about, you know, the, the ins and outs of the contract, because I am no way, shape or form an expert on that. Um, you know, I mostly want to focus in on the X's and O's of the players and see who's competing for a championship. But it is interesting nonetheless because it is, you know, the X's and the O's are being affected by the dollar signs. So um, it's something everybody, every every football fan should keep in mind and should have, on the, uh, have in the forefront of their mind. But you did mention earlier some of the rookie quarterbacks. I think this, uh, this NFL draft offseason, the 2023 NFL draft, had some really good young rookie quarterbacks coming out. Um, I think we saw them actually go 1-2-4, um, which was really cool to actually see some of these younger guys getting some shots. But what would have been seen as, you know, actually last year was seen as a strong quarterback draft at the end of at the during this draft season, I think it was a little bit more of a weaker quarterback draft in retrospect now that we're looking at it. But do you have any thoughts about any of the rookies or even even some of the sophomore quarterbacks that have been in the NFL or that have been coming out? What are you looking for? Who are you excited about? And uh, what are your overall impressions? Yeah, I, uh, I think I kind of hinted to this earlier of my opinion, but I think last year's QB class and this year's QB class – are on the weaker side. Um, I think the last good class that came out was that Burrow class. The um, Burrow class, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, from then on, I was like, especially when I was looking at Houston over the past two years, My one of my best friends lives in Houston, huge Houston Texans fan. And I was like, man, when you sold all those picks, prepare to be in bad shape for the next three to five years. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't foresee – anybody down there in the college ranks that were coming out that were going to be head and shoulders ready to perform um honestly out of the out of the class so far stetson bennett might be the best looking one so far you know I, and it's actually really funny i was reading an article today about stetson bennett and his performance and you know kind of the comments that sean mcveigh has about him and there's kind of this 
the way that he's carried himself throughout camp, the way that he's picked up on the the playbook, the way that he's you know translating that to the practice field, and now what we saw in the preseason game. And I don't want to put too much stock in the preseason because I mean, and, and you know, in retrospect, we saw Blake Bortles tear it up in preseason, and we all thought he was the next part star coming out. But and he, you know, his career didn't go the way that we thought it was going to go. But that being said, I think I think we're really seeing you know kind of a Stetson Bennett there's kind of this growing you know feeling from that fan base there in LA that you know they may have found a diamond in the rough yeah I uh I think they are all thinking like oh this is the guy to pick up the torch here Mm -hmm. uh in the next wave of what what the Rams become so uh yeah we'll we'll wait and see on him The, the I think the Debbie Downer of the first preseason week was definitely Anthony Richardson so much hype around him in the combine but for myself i just go back and look at his florida tape it was just well you and you and you and i have had discussions about this left and right and you know i thought um we we watched the draft together and we had multiple conversations about anthony richardson you know i talked about anthony richardson quite a bit to like a, a, a plethora of people because the hype was was astronomically high i was almost under the impression that we had moved past the type of player that Anthony Richardson is, where he is all the hype. I thought we had moved past that. I thought that GMs and, you know, NFL front offices had gotten a little more intelligent here in years past, where you have these college players that have literally zero production whatsoever. Their film is abysmal, but they're an athletic freak. We haven't seen one of those guys in a couple of seasons now, and I was almost like, all right, well, we've we've moved past that. And, you know, that was kind of like a – that was an Al Davis thing. You know, oh, he runs fast to draft him in the first round. Like, I thought we had moved past that vibe. But Anthony Richardson, everything I saw was in the, the, the pre-draft process and during the last college football season, he started out as, you know, this guy could be a uh, – he could be a late first-round pick. Like, he's got some hype around him. To then, you know, it in the season, uh, he I saw him falling all the way down to third, fourth, fifth round. He's a project. He doesn't have he doesn't have like the mental capacity to you know process an NFL offense and to make the necessary reads to be a successful quarterback in the NFL. There were a lot of red flags there, but then he started working out, and we started to see what he looks like, you know, in you know in his workout clothes. You know, he's chiseled, he's jacked out of his mind. He's six foot four. He runs like a stallion. I mean, he's fast. I mean, he's got a cannon of an arm. All the physical attributes that you could ever want from an athlete, period, much not just football. I mean, he is a athletic freak. But when you turn on the tape, it's abysmal. I mean, he is consistently making the wrong wrong reads. He can't come off of his first wide receivers. There were a, a, there were a plethora of red flags um, for Anthony Richardson. And I think it kind of, we saw it this past week in his first game, first game action. action. Yeah, and... and- Granted, this might not all be on Anthony Richardson's shoulders either. I mean, that Colts organization right now is a mess. It's oh, well, a dumpster fire right now. Well, you do have Jim Isray kind of going off the rails, making crazy, crazy statements, you know, upsetting the team's best player right now and all that. So he's not walking into a pristine it, – it, let's put it this way. It's not the Colts of Manning, of the Manning or the even the Luck era. Um, it's definitely a little bit more dysfunctional right now. So I, I will give him credit there. You know, he is walking into kind of a, a bit of a mess with that organization. Um, 
The other one that I'm concerned about, and I know, like, once again, I don't want to jump the gun. It is week one of preseason, but the report's coming out of camp, and then what we saw in the first game, Bryce Young did not look great. Yeah, um, those were my two underwhelming performers of week one were Anthony Richardson and Bryce Young. Um, Both, and I said this about Bryce Young, and if you just go back and watch the tape of his playoff football, when he was down there and it was just like he would see the first read if he didn't hit the first read he was kind of guessing on where to go with the football and it, it just transitions into the NFL it seems like especially in week one where uh, week one of the preseason that is where the defenses already have the edge because they're ahead in speed it's easier to play on the defensive side of the ball because you don't have all of the the motions and your sets on which side of the field you're going to. You're really trying to find a rhythm with your receivers where the defense can just fly around and, and smack you in the mouth a little bit. But, uh, but it's, it's just transitioning from his old tape into week one, that it, it seems like to me. Right, and I mean, he was seen as a early in the draft process, he was a slam dunk prospect. He was seen as kind of like the next big name Heisman Trophy national championship winning quarterback to come out and you know he's going to be you know, take the league by storm and I think we need to lower our expectations for that because he is a little bit more of a project than you know a Joe Burrow or a Trevor Lawrence or some of these guys that we've seen in recent years come out um, and you know I, it, it was very underwhelming the the reports coming out of camp for for Bryce Young were, were not great um, I heard, you know, he was he was struggling a little bit more. He's they said apparently he's got he's a great intangibles guy. He's got great leadership qualities, um, but it was the physical aspects of the game and you know the mental, the speed of the game, like you mentioned, which were concerns. And based off of the social media pulse, which you know means absolutely nothing um, <laughs> for everything, but I think based off of you know kind of like what I've been seeing is you know it, it is a little concerning. Um, another one that was a was a big performer um, was Will Levis. He was out there, kind of not what I was expecting from Will Levis, to be honest with you. Um, no, but between him and Malik, uh, it's it's really a toss up of who you would want under center right now down there in Tennessee. Um, Malik beat him. He had a better he had a better week than than uh, what Levis did for sure. Um, yeah, but I mean, it wasn't he didn't blow him away, but yeah, I mean, he did get the upper hand through week one. So we'll see what happens on down the line. But the Titans may have missed on Will Levis with that high of a, a draft pick for sure. No, for sure. I mean, like I said, it, what, this could be all moot. All these points could be moot because. You know, it is an adapting and a changing league, and it, it's only been one week, and it's these guys are young. So, I mean, there's a long way to go. Um, but, you know, I, I'm still optimistic about almost every one of these guys. The one I'm not optimistic about is Anthony Richardson. I, I, I just don't – you know, I, I will uh, – I will I will send somebody a five hundred dollar gift card if he turns into an all pro quarterback because I think he's I just, in an unfortunate situation like he, he's already behind the eight ball on some of his reads and then you place him in a dysfunctional organization that's going through a rough spot such as the Colts it reminds me almost of the Johnny Manziel being drafted to the Browns on that last documentary where right. it's like not only does he have character issues and I'm not saying Anthony Richardson does I'm saying Johnny Manziel right. it, it, it's just a quarterback that needs some structure and some really good coaching going to an organization that's lost themselves no I couldn't agree with you any more than that I mean and 
But you know, I, I am I am looking forward to watching these guys develop, and I'm looking forward to the next crop of you know future leaders of this league that we all obsess over. So it'll be great. Yeah, yeah, I'm but, excited to see what unfolds throughout uh, the rest of this preseason, and uh, definitely week one, it's going to be electric. No, I couldn't agree with you more. But we're we're kind of running out of time here, so just real quickly, going into week two of the preseason, what are you looking for? You know, just give me your top two uh, things to look for this upcoming week. Top two. Um, first, I would go with B. John Robinson. He's mm. going to be in uniform suiting up this week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then hopefully, you know, a glimpse at some of the Bengals starters, such as like Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, uh, Joe Mixon, maybe, mm-hmm. and see what they got they got going on. Because I don't think any of them have started or even been no. really remotely involved. In Nothing yet. The ones yet, yeah. So see what that kind of looks like after you know an electric year of arguably the best wide receiver core in the NFL. No, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that the the two things that I'm looking forward to the most is, one, I'm just going to be glued to watching these rookie quarterbacks and see how they progress. I really want to see if some of these guys that have maybe faced some opposition, like a Bryce Young or a C.J. Stroud or even a Will Levis, I'm looking forward, or even Anthony Richardson, I'm looking to see if they can take, you know, learn from week one and to see if they're a lot more well-equipped going into week two um, of the preseason, which, you know, luckily these games don't count. Um the second thing I'm interested in looking for is across the league, I would love to see these second-string offensive lines play. The thing that we do know about the NFL is usually if you make it through an entire NFL season with a full five-man starting offensive line, that is somewhat of a miracle because um, it usually doesn't happen. So these backup – Your soul to the devil. It's <laughs> – or Giselle, I mean Giselle, or something like that. You've got some witchcraft in the background, like helping you keep all your guys safe. But it doesn't happen. So these second stream guys usually end up playing at some points. A lot of times it's early in the season too, or even if it's a rotational piece, swing tackles and such. But during the first week, what we saw was some of the most atrocious second second string offensive line play in the league. And I am very intrigued to see some of these guys play, see if they can get it together. Um, cause you know, it was definitely a, it was definitely a, a, a talking point that I saw some of the larger media companies, even, even they were starting to take notice of just how abysmal the second string offensive line play was across the league. Um, and I think that's, I think it's something that we all need to pay attention to. The other thing I'll give you a free one for a third one. Let's see if the Baltimore Ravens can go for 25 straight preseason wins. An insane stat. It means nothing. You don't get anything. I don't even know if you really get bragging rights from it. But it's still fun to watch. So it's fun to see if it's going to continue. Oh, if, if I were in Vegas, I'd be throwing some money down. <laughs> Let me see to number twenty-five. I might hop on the Fanduel app. Ah, you bunch of bunch of degenerates betting on a uh, preseason football game. <laughs> but overall, you know, it was a good week. It's good to be back. It's good to have NFL football back. I just love the feeling. It feels like falls in the air. I'm so excited to get down and see what's going to happen on the gridiron on Sundays. I can't wait. Um, I hope you guys are all excited as well. Um, Caleb, before we sign off here, did you have anything else that you wanted to add? No, I just think this season of the NFL is going to be really good. I don't foresee them, there being any truly atrocious teams that we saw last year. I think those bottom-tier teams upgraded through the draft process. Mm-hmm. And I, I think each team – I don't think we'll see like a one-win team or a two-win team. Maybe a three-win team based on – some injuries that occur throughout, but I think there's going to be a log jam 
of eight and eight teams out there or you know no. seven and nine teams trying to make the playoffs. The which playoff is going to be insane this year. Which, as a fan, that is what we all want. We want to see competitive football late into the year for as many teams as possible. So, I mean, I, it just makes for a better, more exciting league. Um, but overall, man, I'm excited. It's good to be back. Thank you guys for listening. If you do get a chance and you want to follow us some more, um, please go ahead and subscribe to our Twitter page where we'll be updating all of our information about the Going For Two football podcast. Um, We'll also be branching out into more media as well. Um, Look for us to be hitting YouTube here with maybe some video pods as well. Um, All that good stuff. We got a lot of good things planned. We are going to be releasing some merch down the line. We'll be doing some giveaways, all that good stuff. So um, if you like what you heard, please look to subscribe on whatever platform you're going to or you're listening on. And uh, we'll love to hear from you and we'll love to engage with you. So until next time, thank you guys. And he makes the score. Five seconds left. This is for the win for all intents and purposes. The play clock running. Paul Pepper making an audible. Drops the ball, picks it up, he's going to go in for it, and he will make it! Dante Culpepper gets two, and the Vikings' sideline has gone nuts. This team that we're looking for next year, we're improving now for the future. And what a play by Dante. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong in that play.